Kingmud Podcast presents. Good evening and welcome to the show. My name is Jimmy Derschlag. This is Global Stuff. I am very pleased to um, welcome to the show is uh, a guest who covers a very, very interested in an important global issue, which is uh, topics that we do very frequently on this show. And of course, this in, in, been in the news just continuously and been on the minds of a lot of us for, I, it's been a while now, um, back into October. And that's the uh, conflict that's happening um, between Israel and Palestine, the Gaza and uh, Israel. And the guest for who's going to be talking about that and other issues related to that is Abba Solomon. Abba is the author of two books on Zionism, The Miasma of Unity, Jews in Israel, and The Speech and Its Context, Jacob Blaustein's Speech, The Meaning of Palestine Partition to American Jews. And also we're going to be talking um, more in depth about his very recent article, Endangered and Dangerous Israel, Endangering Jews this uh, article that uh, Abba Solomon wrote, uh, Today's Siege of Gaza, when he wrote this back at the beginning of the month, uh, November 1st. Today's Siege of Gaza is the latest iteration of a more than century-long effort to instill a controlling fear of and respect for Jews, a respect in quotes, for Jews in the non-Jewish inhabitants of Palestine. Um, in the 20th century, the growing Zionist community in Palestine was in the main garrisons of settlers alienated from their neighbors economically, socially, and linguistically with the creation of the state and the Nakba. We'll be talking about that a little more, and that happened when uh, the, Palis- the Israeli state was created in 1948. The exile of three-quarters of non-Jewish Palestinians, Palestinians from the new state, those Arabs were simply not missed from Israeli lives. All right. I guess we've got uh, Abba with us. Are you there? Yes. Good evening. Good evening. Appreciate you making the time to be with us. And I mentioned the books that you've authored. I mentioned the article that we'll be talking about and the fact that we'll be getting into some of the developments, more recent developments. There certainly has been a lot going on uh, very, uh, what are we, we're, we're at almost uh, like a month and a half since the, the uh, first the Hamas actions and then the uh, Israeli response. Right, right. Uh, apocalyptic events, really. Right. And, and something the whole world is watching and that keeps developing. Um, before we jump into talking about the, the background of the conflict and um, the, over a century of what's been going on there leading up to this and some of the developments and what you've written about, maybe you can go into your background a little bit and, and how you uh, – come to focus on the region and be involved in the uh, books that you've written and this focus? Well, I became interested in the subject when I was researching my parents' and grandparents' um, life in New York City. I happened to be, I live in Seattle, but I happened to be visiting New York 
and started uh, visiting the Jewish collection at the New York Public Library and their general reference uh, just to trace where my parents lived, uh, where they had grown up. Uh, I had known my grandparents a little bit and I wanted to find out more about what their world was like. And at the same time, I came across Zionist literature from that period in New York. And I was curious about its relevance to my grandparents and to my parents. Uh, they had never been bitten particularly by the Zionist bug in the sense that they were busy building American lives and they had never um, converted uh, from Bundism and uh, American socialism to the idea of Zionism as a solution for what was called the Jewish problem. And uh, so I ended up in the uh, uh, 08 and 09, and then 09 and 010, I spent a year in New York uh, and in Baltimore uh, researching how the American Jewish community dealt with this new idea, which was contested of having a Jewish state in Palestine and then imposing it uh, against the wishes of, well, you know, with uh, creating it in conflict with uh, Palestinian uh, Arabs who also were resident in the land. And also the difficult position that American Jews or Jews in the diaspora that is, Jews who live outside the state of Israel now, uh, deal with having a state and how it affects their role in their societies and how connected should they necessarily feel to the, the Jewish nationalist state being imposed in Palestine. Um, certainly since 1967, the establishment or the established American Jewish organizations have become very close to uh, the state of Israel as a part of Jewish identity, so that it becomes a question of um, loyalty within the group, uh, whether you're a Zionist or not. And it's very bitter, and I think it's really coming to a head and I think I appreciate that uh, you talking about that background, and certainly the Zionism is is a, a focus of your work. Maybe for those, you know, myself as a Jewish person, um, you know, I don't really think about Zionism that much and what it means in terms of the whole range of uh, Jewish attitudes. But how would you define it? And and you can go into I know your book. Um, about uh, the speech and that uh, Jacob Blaustein gave Blaustein. in 1948 um, was a real turning point in terms of the focus on Zionism. But how would you define that? Well, there's an old joke, actually, that an American Zionist is someone who collects money from a second person to send a third person to Palestine. <laughs> but basically, it has not, unlike a lot of countries in the world, we have not depleted our supply of American Jews in a great rush to move to Israel. It's usually people who 
kind of a specialized percentage of a one or two percent since the uh, creation of the state. Um, there are some notable people, uh, Michael Oren or Ron Dermer, who are now diplomats and uh, government officials in Israel. Uh, Golda Meir, famously, as a young woman, emigrated to Palestine. But it's generally not a, a living part of American Jewish life. We have our own uh, centers of nostalgia, like New York, uh, Hollywood, uh, culture, um, we've made our Jewish life has, uh, well, has, has uh, flourished in the United States, and our culture is very different from the Israeli culture, which is centered on sovereignty, on being masters of your fate. Um, both uh, Louis, Brand Louis Brandeis and um, the educator Solomon Schechter said that the whole point for them of joining the Zionist movement was resisting assimilation. So it had to do with an anxiety about it, maintaining identity. And acceptance was, as Solomon Schechter said, he feared assimilation, he feared assimilation more than he did pogroms. And that's why he became a Zionist. So Zionist, in some ways, would you call that um comparable to like uh, constraint, uh, conservatives or, or the right wing in the U.S. Uh, politically in terms of their identity or trying to preserve a certain image of Judaism and what it is to be a Jew? Well, that would be an inter interesting analysis. A lot of Zionism was socialist. Uh, the kibbutzim are examples of that. Uh, the the main organizations, Zionist organizations, had a socialist um, orientation, except for the fact that they were defining Jewish nationalism as a national liberation movement, which is very interesting since we were spread out all over the world. So there's some contradictions there. Uh, our lives for 2,000 years have been living among others. The development of modern Judaism has been as a people who lived among others. And it's quite the change to have a territory again. And the question is, is it necessary? Uh, of course, the question becomes, was it just to Palestinian Arabs who lived in the same land? And is it defensible? Uh, is it a requirement to be an advocate for Israel in what it's done for the purpose of maintaining a ethno-national state? Since we usually live in among others, that's been our skill. Right. And I, I want to remind the listeners, you got off to a little bit of a late start, but this is Global Stuff. My name is Jimmy Derslag. We're talking today with Abbas Solomon who is an author. He has published two books on Zionism and um, his recent article, Endangered, Endangering, Dangerous Israel, Endangering Jews. We'll be talking about that as well. Um, you can find out more about him and his writings at his website, um, which is Abba Solomon, A-B-B-A-S-O-L-O-M-O-N.com. Um, so the Zionism has been part of the history of Israel 
and its relations to the Palestinians and both within it, you know, defining the the um, Israeli state where the Palestinian citizens of that part of Israel considered outside and then the regions that were set aside for Palestinians such as the West Bank and Gaza, but even their um, settlements and incursions into there. So you're saying from the, you were saying in the article that uh, even before the establishment of the Israeli state, there were organized efforts to marginalize and um, uh, repress the Palestinian residents there. Unfortunately, yes. Um, part of it was because in the through the thirties, the uh, mo- the majority of immigrants to uh, Palestine, Jewish immigrants, were European, and they had uh, many of them had a. Uh, an idea of European superiority to the, the natives, quote unquote. And that's the word that in the 20s, uh, Zionist settlers used and Zionist uh, leaders used when discussing uh, the inhabitants of the land. And they were very, they were obsessed. Well, they were determined to not rely on non-Jews. That was one of the uh, philosophies of building a Jewish homeland in Palestine was to use Jewish labor, uh, not to hire yourself out, and also not to hire as much as possible uh, Gentiles, because you were trying to negate, the phrase was negate the diaspora, the galut, um, the exile, by uh, building a Jewish life, it became, you know, it's a very mystical and uh, somewhat blood and soil in, the, in an unfortunate way um, of endowing the land with this mystical meaning that only there would you fully build a Jewish life again and a Jewish nation again. And this is before the Holocaust. This is simply a discomfort with having to negotiate or navigate uh, interactions and interdependence with Gentiles. The idea was to, and you see it in the extreme now, of being entirely um, self-referential in your, uh, or uh, self-sufficient in your deterrence and in your um, uh, dominance of your future and of your fate. And, and creating your own land and your own army was the root. And that happened very early. You you talk in the article about um, the almost from the very beginning. You might uh, compare them to militias. Here, this uh, groups of uh, armed young um, Jewish youths who kind of uh, patrol became um, the. Uh, I, I, Became uh, the the enforcers in a way of um, pushing the non-Jewish Palestinians uh, out of the areas that were uh, being occupied and and turning into the the Jewish 
part of Palestine, what we consider Israel now. Right, and this has been a pattern. Um, and in part, the, the problem was that fraternization, and this is, there's a lot of examples of Jewish communities and Palestinian villages that got along, but the general idea was separation. Um, and that's it kind of gives you a little bit of the sense of how this went wrong in the sense of you had tens of thousands and then hundreds of thousands of Jewish people moving to Palestine with the, not with the idea of joining Palestinian life, but preserving and uh, building a Hebrew nation uh, linguistically, socially, um, economically. So the idea was never to fit into the st economic structures. It, it was to build an, a separate parallel community uh, with its own, yes, its own militia, its own uh, nascent government. So over the years with uh, what's happened with the non-Jewish uh, Palestinians being uh, pushed into the settlements like in, in Gaza and the West Bank and and uh, also, the as we know, with, with Gaza, the access to m most everything they need comes from the outside. And the state of Israel controls the flow of goods into and out of there. So uh, for the history of the settlements in Gaza and the Palestinians, they've depended on the um, Israeli government and their whatever their their policies or whatever goodwill they have to get their supplies and so there's been this over the the decades uh this frustration and this pushback and conflicts happening but almost uh you know in in the United States and with um American Jews and so much it, even criticizing or questioning that um is unacceptable. It seems like the the way the Israelis have treated the Palestinians and and how that's led to the situation in Gaza. Right, and this is uh, very age related. Younger Jews are much more open to comprehending the Palestinian experience. What their hundred, you know, the last hundred years has been like for them. Encountering the Zionist project, older people, um, well, it's a generalization, but the way the polling is going, uh, younger Jews are much more likely to not accept the uh, state of Israel depiction of reality. And it's really different. I mean, if you look at uh, Israeli media or uh, some mainstream media, it I guess you would say privileges the human experience and the human fears of Israelis where the um, just as compelling and numerically much more uh, fulsome uh, horrors that, for instance, people in the West Bank and Gaza are now experiencing don't resonate as much. Uh, but then if you look at world media or Al Jazeera or uh, European broadcasters, it's and left in the U.S. There's much more uh, openness to not seeing um, anti-Zionism or 
serious concern with with uh, IDF actions as anti-Semitic. That's one thing here is, is the state representing Jewish people? And is the prospect of serious change of sovereignty over Palestine in some other more egalitarian or more open, um, less oppressive uh, structure, anti-Jewish. The mainstream organizations, which are mostly supported by older donors, um, proposes the idea that any questioning of the premises of the 48 establishment of the state, the exile of 75% of the Palestinian Arab population outside of the borders of Israel, Uh, any questioning of that event and premise and the premise that the right of return for Palestinians is out of the question, any questioning of that is essentially an, an attack on Jewish people. And I don't think that's going to work anymore, but uh, there's also the question of what will, how hard is it going to be for the Jewish American community to adjust to the idea that uh, anti-Zionism might be just? KMUD is a community radio station in the Redwood region of Northern California. Donate to support people-powered radio at kmud.org. So now we let's bring it up, <laughs> jump several decades, and, and uh, bypass some of the other many conflicts that have had uh, between the um, the Israeli borders and the uh, Palestinian communities over the years, and including the incursion of the of the settlements and and their uh, even within the Palestinian territories limiting uh, Palestinian rights, um, to what prompted the attacks that happened uh, last month with Hamas, um, the leader of Hamas in Gaza. Uh, Yehas Sinwar, who was uh, previously in prison and and released um, as part of where a thousand Palestinian prisoners were exchanged because of uh, the capture of one Israeli soldier um, who was arrested in 1988. But uh, then Sinwar came and was uh, be, uh, handling Hamas, and basically Hamas uh, was being seen as more cooperative at that time with Israel, and there was some hope that there would be some reconciliation between, um, in the way that uh, the Palestinians in Gaza and the Israeli government and uh, officials were able to come to some kind of agreements and normalcy, but um, the, it seems like there was always this plan for some kind of action, and even though that came as some kind of surprise. And what do you what do you see as the background that led to the Hamas attacks? Well, the priority for Israel is uh, kind of control and not um, and um, a predictable situation. From their point of view, things were going along. 
but they were giving there's a lot of pressure on um, Palestinian Arabs in the West Bank from increasingly aggressive uh, kind of ethnic cleansing raids by settlers, uh, making life harder and harder. And if you look at the map of the West Bank with the uh, settlements all over, all over, with the uh, designed with the idea of disrupting uh, Palestinian life, interrupting contiguity, and um, establishing uh, Judaization uh, of the West Bank. Um, it's and the uh, flashpoint of the uh, provocations of bringing more and more re Jewish religious um, observances up to the uh, uh, Temple Mount or the Al-Aqsa uh, compound. Um, from the standpoint of uh, Palestinians, there was more, it wasn't without, uh, this wasn't a peaceful situation that Hamas interrupted. It was a response to a number of increasing uh, provocations that made normal life more and more difficult. Again, I want to uh, remind the listener, this is Global Stuff. My name is Jimmy Derschlag. We're about halfway through this show talking to Abba Solomon about the situation in Israel and Palestine and the uh, conflict in Gaza, between Gaza and Israel right now, and what led up to that, some of the history of that. Uh, this is a call-in show. If you have a question or a brief comment, you can reach us here. 707-923-3911. We've got our excellent engineer, Michael, waiting, standing by, just ready to take your call. Um, so it, in, in reading about this, it seemed like the Hamas action also was because they felt there was not being like it, it was sort of becoming they were becoming less relevant. The the. Um, uh, Palestinian concerns, it was almost like a, a last stand kind of thing that out of necessity there had, they had to take some kind of action. Would, would you agree with that or, or do you, uh, as far as, as what led to that planning and, that, and, and uh, actually taking action? I would agree that the Israeli government has no motivation to do anything unless there's a threat to the status quo. And honestly, you have to say that this, since October 7th, uh, Israel, Israel's, the state of Israel's state of security and sustainability has taken a big hit. Um, the call up of uh, the, a huge or unprecedented call up of uh, reservists uh, cripples the economy. They have roughly 300,000 people who are now internally displaced from the north of Israel and from the Gaza envelope. So in other words, what you have is a large portion of the periphery of Israel has been, has had to be evacuated. Now, how long can that be sustainable? Uh, what will this mean to uh, investment, tourism, um, and really, if Hezbollah decided to threaten um, 
uh, missiles to Ben Gurion Airport. That would be uh, an intolerable interruption in national life and feasibility for the state of Israel. So I've never seen a moment as uh, threatening to the actual existence of the state in its current way. So you could say that this has been a month and a half where the deterrence that Israel has always tried to maintain and is trying to maintain now is questionable because uh, because there's enough resistance from enough directions, you know, not to mention uh, missiles from the uh, from Yemen uh, that the United States uh, Navy is um, uh, interrupting or uh, shooting down uh, drones and missiles from the Houthis of Yemen. So there's, uh, I think it was, I, I mean, I have no idea what the uh, Hamas thinking was, but there also was a remarkable failure of what is supposed to be the specialty of the Israeli state, which is surveillance and intelligence. Let me jump in here because we do have a, a caller. Hi, you're on the air. Hi. Um, I wonder if you guys might want to talk about Hamas as extremely controlled opposition and the uh, latest incursion as a false flag operation. And I hope you could address that because there's a lot of evidence for that. But um, my personal view is that Israel, as well as the USA and the United Kingdom, are all coup states of the banking dynasty families and their allied criminal associates who uh, are using it as a military linchpin in their oil monopoly in the Middle East. That's what I think Israel is. I, I think it was set up not as a favor to... Jews or Judaism, but that it was set up to be a military linchpin in the oil monopoly of the super-rich banking dynasty. But if you could address the controlled opposition element of Hamas and the all the evidence that, that shows that it's an obvious false flag. Do you want to? Oh, uh, interesting. Do you want to talk? Do you have an, a, an idea about that, uh, Abba? As a as a as a false flag, I've read a, a bit about the the Hamas uh, 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 interests and and planning and and why they went behind that and why they why they did that. Do you see that as a false flag, or how how would you look at that? Well, there is the fact that just as during the uh, Soviet uh, invasion in the eighties, the United States. Uh, basically supported the Mujahideen who became or evolved into Al-Qaeda. In the case of Hamas, its origin story is tied up with support from the, from the state of Israel. They were uh, part, well, support for them was because the state of Israel wanted opposition available to, the, uh, to Fatah, to the Palestine Liberation, Liberation Organization. And up until even recently, the um, state of Israel and the uh, government of Israel has had a um, benefit, a perceived benefit they felt from uh, the PLO in the West Bank and uh, Hamas not being able to reunite 
or cooperate because they felt that was their way of having a superior control over the situation rather than confronting a unified front. And as for the larger question, everybody kind of builds their own story that makes sense to them about forces in the world. It's very interesting because there are a lot of elements that go into the creation of the state and motivations uh, from various uh, countries uh, to the uh, to alliance with Israel. Yeah, I would I would agree with that, um, and I'm sure there's there's a lot of that dynamics that that caller brought up. But you know what the direct connections are. It's it's uh, not necessarily easy to tell. It's interesting that you brought up, you know, the um, relationship of of Hamas and uh, the PLO Fatah, which in in effect that's the official representation representative of the Palestinians, right, is is Fatah, and yet Fatah does not get along with Hamas. In fact, froze them out um, in 2006 when um, they lost a legislative ballot to Hamas. But, um, so there is that infighting. Is, and how does that relate to this current situation? Well, um, interestingly enough, the PLO hasn't had an election either for a long time. Uh, you know, since I believe 2007, Gaza has not had an election. Is that uh, Mahmoud Abbas is still the leader then of the PLO? Right, right. With a kind of an indefinite term. Um, now, they have wanted to have new legislative elections, but they want to do something that the Israelis forbid which is to have uh, Palestinian Arabs in East Jerusalem be part of the, their electorate. In other words, allow people to vote who are, uh, who are residents of Jerusalem, East Jerusalem, the part captured in the 67 war. And the Israelis forbid that, won't allow uh, electioneering and an election to take place in the East because they feel that would threaten their sovereignty, their claim to all of uh, uh, greater Jerusalem. Um, but I think really, I, I think either things are gonna be solved by um, force or they're gonna have to be solved by actually allowing elections to take place. And that's one thing the Israeli government has not really wanted to confront is a properly constituted elected representative of Palestine to negotiate with. I'm. Oh, well, I should say I'm also really concerned how this is going to uh, relate to how Jews in the diaspora operate in the world, and what this is going to mean to how people think about Jews, uh, people feeling the necessity to kind of take revenge against. Jews elsewhere to express their anger about what the state of Israel does. And I think it's uh, it was a foreseeable question. And the publicity, the airing, the um, ubiquity now of news from Gaza is, I think, going to really affect, I know, within the American Jewish community, there's a lot of concern. And in the major organizations, 
they're doing a conflation of concern about Palestine, concern about Israeli uh, actions against Palestinians, and anti-Semitism. And I don't know how this is all going to play out. I will agree that in, in what I've seen compared to other times, there has been more more coverage or at least more acknowledgement that, um, the, you know, the, the extremity of the Israeli response and the, the, the situation of Gaza and more publicity of that. We do have another caller. Uh, hi, you're on the air. Uh, hi, I was just uh, wanting to refer to the other caller who was talking about the false flag attack. I don't think he was um, talking about the politics. I think he was talking more about the erroneous facts that don't add up. Like uh, there were a lot of warning signs that were purposely ignored three days before the attack. Um, It's impossible that they could pull an attack that large off without uh, Mossad intelligence being aware of it. Um, in fact, Mossad intelligence was definitely aware of it. They practiced using hang gliders with machine guns. They weren't doing that in a cave, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of erroneous facts that don't add up to Netanyahu and the Mossad not knowing that that attack was going to happen on the 50th anniversary of another attack. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, oh, oh, is that? Are those, you thinking of the uh, Munich Olympics? Why, why they they add up to an inside job, one hundred, huh. and this played out one hundred percent in um, Zion favor. You know, I mean, it, it, Hamas must have known that this was not going to work out in their best interest. Well, that's let's, let's let the caller or the uh, guest respond to that. Thanks for that okay, question. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I'll take the answer off the air. Thank you. Do you have another response to that, uh, Abbas Solomon? No, it's, it's uh, he, the, the caller is absolutely right that this is a remarkable, if you know, a remarkable intelligence failure. Uh, the fact is, the uh, Israeli society was in the last year, pulling itself apart over the judicial overhaul that Netanyahu was pushing. And it was really, uh, there was a question of whether it kind of reduced the communications and the efficiency within the Israeli intelligence um, uh, apparatus. Um, It's a little bit like 9-11. You can read the events and then you can come up with what it is you believe and is credible and then kind of come up with an alternate explanation. And I, I don't know how to connect with that um, because it, it puts a lot of players into kind of false positions. Like that would assume that Hamas is manipulated by the Israelis and by bigger forces. Um, I'd, I'd have to say I'm agnostic. Yeah. Well, 
Yeah, and, and we don't want to go. We know how people think about nine eleven in terms of uh, similar similar analysis of that. So we won't go there on this show. I, I do want to remind the listeners: this is global stuff. My name is Jimmy Dershlag. My guest, Abba Solomon, author of two books on Zionism: the Miasma of Unity, Jews and Israel, and also the speech and its context: Jacob Blaustein's speech, the meaning of Palestine. Palestine Partition to American Jews. Um, he's been writing about, you can uh, get more information about Abba, AbbaSolomon.com uh, online and see his most recent writings. The There was an article by the New York Times, uh, in the New York Times, about the Hamas planning and really the the although um, we have Hamas in Gaza, the heads of Hamas, the higher ups in the organization, are in other countries. They're in Qatar and other places. They're they're headquartered in other places, not just in the um, uh, Palestinian uh, parts of um, you know non-Jewish parts of Israel. Um, and there was a. The implication that the heads of Hamas, number one, they denied that there were any civilian uh, casualties unless it was they were caught in the uh, the line of fire and that that was never any uh, – and also they did not seem to be that concerned about what the blowback would be against the Palestinians in Gaza. Um, that it was more important to them to take this action, those in Hamas not in Israel, than uh, to, you know, be concerned about what that blowback would be. As the last caller implied, they must have known this wouldn't work and that there would be extreme response from Israel. Yeah, um, there's uh, various... I think there's certainly there was horrors that day. Um, there is going to be, I think, a reappraisal of some of the claims of uh, some of the violence. Uh, in other words, we know that the beheaded babies was simply a rumor. Um, the question of was it entirely as humane and orderly as Hamas says its goals were? Um, I don't think so. In part, uh, it's really a matter of the fence, the fence was breached in a number of spots, and it was not only Hamas fighters who came through. Um, but it did have some of the feel of a, a slave revolt or a prison riot where things are barbarous. Uh, it certainly was a horrible moment. Uh, and in part, it was, I think, propaganda of the deed is what the anarchists called it. Uh, they were proving that this idea of uh, what Israel does, which is subsidize uh, settlements of the periphery to uh, basically plant the Israeli flag and plant, uh, well, basically they call it Judaizing, parts of Israel which are sparsely populated in order to take possession of the entire land wasn't going to be secure. And I mean, it's a horrible way to have expre have proved that and they proved it. 
the uh, as I said, uh, okay, so today is a very significant event that's been happening today and into tomorrow, which is perhaps there's going to be um, some kind of uh, resolution. It, it Right now it's in a temporary four-day ceasefire that just began today, and there's been a prisoner exchange that started today, and then they say tomorrow, uh, Netanyahu said there'll be more released uh, tomorrow. Uh, what I The numbers I saw would... Well, we'd seen numbers that 200 uh, captives had been captured by Hamas, and I see that 24 have been released and 39 Palestinians also freed in a prisoner exchange. Um, What kind of a point in time do you see us at right now? Do you you think there may be a chance to extend this uh, current ceasefire and maybe reach some kind of resolution as there's been so much pressure, um, global pressure to, uh, you know, stop the uh, military actions? Right. Um, Well, I know that the Israeli war aims, which are, somewhat unrealistic, but is to what, extinguish Hamas as any threat. Uh, first off, they have external support. And uh, second of all, it's an, you know, take, wiping out an ideology like us, uh, the United States occupying Afghanistan and to wipe out the Taliban didn't work uh, for the same, I think it won't work for the same reasons that you can't extinguish by foreign troops, an ideology. Um, one thing is the Israelis said, you know, we won't be negotiating. Well, they've now started negotiating. Uh, from the American government point of view, the uh, U.S. government is starting to say, well, we need to solve this particular crisis, but we've also finally have to solve the, cri- the question of uh, Palestinian rights that this is simply a festering uh, problem. Now, for as far as the Israelis are concerned, this isn't a festering problem. This is a problem to be managed as Israeli life continues. But the urgency that the Palestinians feel, I think is also starting to be uh, expressed by foreign governments, which have been supportive of Israel. But there's going to have to be and a reconceptualization of what Israeli security is, and it's going to have to be coming to a reasonable uh, conclusion that allows fulfillment of Palestinian life uh, in a way that's uh, not suppressed in favor of Jewish life in Israel. And do you see that that... uh even that as a possibility. I mean, uh, Netanyahu was talking about, you know, move them to Egypt, right? There's a lot of uh, empty buildings in Egypt. You get these uh, a million or two million people. Two million would be the whole, uh, the entire uh, population of the Gaza. (laughs) Well, the, I, there's a, boy, I cannot imagine the international community, a um, going along with that, we're, we're, the Nakba of 48, of 47 and 48 is well understood. Uh, 
uh, certainly by Palestinians. And I don't think the world would sit for it. Um, but basically what I'm thinking is this is enough of a crisis that there's opportunity for some reconceptualization of what Israeli rights are versus uh, the rights of all of the other people who are Palestinians, the Jewish and Muslim and uh, Christian non-Zionist res residents of right. Palestine. So we don't have much time left. There's also been, you know, we, we mentioned this in passing, but um, even though there, there, there have been a lot of voices that have talked about um, the, the uh, actions of the Israelis against the non-Jewish um, inhabitants, there still has been a lot of pushback um, within the country, I, I know the American Jewish Committee is still very uh, active itself, and APAC, of course, um, as funding um, a lot of uh, uh, elections and and representatives. But there, there's been things like uh, you know Harvard University basically denying that uh, when the, the there was a widely um, you know uh, students and faculty declaring that the slogan from the river to the sea which is a, a call for freedom for Palestinians um, was called anti-semitic and that uh, right right it's okay to censor that that's not a violation of free exp expression you know in this country there's so much um, hue and cry from the right about freedom of speech and all that and yet the groups that have come out speaking for at at least um, expressing the opinion that this needs to be looked at and the rights of the Palestinians need to be considered and respected, there's still this huge uh, blowback against that in this country. And the censorship of Rashida Tlaib is a, is a direct uh, uh, result of that as well. Right. And I believe she was, uh, yes, she just censured, censured by the House. Right. I believe, yes. Uh, the That demonization of that slogan, which has been around for years, it's a, you know, it's a reliable chant. It, 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 metrically, it works and it expresses uh, what it wants to express. That is being interpreted as eliminationist of Jews, that it's a call for elimination of Jews. And the corollary of that is any change in domination of Palestine by a mighty controlling state of Israel from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean, any challenge to that and any rethinking of who gets to vote, for instance, um, the uh, uh, basically six, seven million Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank are controlled ultimately by a government they don't vote for indefinitely. This has been going on for uh, since 1967. And there's a there's got to be a sea change. And I'm just thinking basically because of the stress and vulnerability that Israel is experiencing now, there may be some options for realignment, uh, finding common ground or something, because otherwise 
Uh, Israel is simply not as mighty as it used to be. It is not in control of the situation now. It's got basically three or four fronts going. Um, you know, God, the threat from Gaza, from Yemen, uh, Hezbollah, and then uh, forces in Syria that are also Hezbollah aligned. Uh, and the population of the West Bank is uh, experiencing provocations that are making life intolerable. So I don't know if there isn't some opportunity for improvement because it can't be as it just can't stay as bad as as it is right now. Well, I, we're so glad to for you to have made the time to talk about this um, Abba Solomon uh, author, and you can find out more about his work uh, Abba Solomon dot com. Um, and we appreciate the work you're doing on this. I I know I, I was going to ask if you ever get pushed back as as uh, a, an author, a Jewish author, um, uh, proposing you know it, showing how there is uh, some legitimate concern about the treatment of Palestinians. But um, I, I'm sure you get a little bit of blowback occasionally. Um, yeah, there's a bright line between people. There's a lot of Jewish people who are sympathetic and understanding yes. of the position of Palestine and uh, their, you know, basically uh, a raw deal for quite a long period of time. And people who are totally wedded to the idea that um, Jewish identity is tied to support for the Jewish state of Israel in its current configuration. So I guess uh, there are, yes, there are a number of people, even within my extended family, who are horrified. I have some of that too. Yeah. But anyway, thank you so much. I really appreciate you making the time. This has been a KMUT podcast. To listen to other shows and more episodes of this show, find us on all the platforms where you get your podcast and also on our website, kmud.org.